So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Lord. We bless you today, God. We come into your presence with, truly with rejoicing and praise, God. We are so delighted to be yours, God, and to know that uh, you know us, that our names are written in the book of life, God, that, uh, that you saved us and you redeemed us and you've called us for these days, and we are challenged, thrilled, and looking forward, God, to great things that you have said will be accomplished in these days. And we would ask you to fill us with your spirit, God, with the knowledge of your purposes, Lord. And we ask you to open your word to us, Jesus. Amen. So if you are new, and we do have new people online, I know listening because of uh, just reports. Um, as always in my notes, the technicals, there's bolding and underlining. It's, it's usually to help me because they're teaching notes. So I want to try to not miss things. And usually after the after I go back and I'm posting this, I realize all that I missed. Um, there's teeny type only because I don't want to read every single verse, but it helps you because you could uh, understand the context of what I'm speaking about. And um, okay, it's, anyway, that's it basically. I don't have to go through the whole thing. The story is is that it's legit, and I tremble at the word, and I don't, I really don't mess with it. I'm. And, and God's honored that. He's honored it from the very beginning, and he's called people to live their lives like that as teachers. Hey, Shane. Hey, Shane. All right. So, um, first of all, we'd be spiritually tone deaf if we weren't addressing what's going on today in Israel. Yes. There's a massive attack. It's one of the biggest attacks in Israel in, in, in maybe decades even. It's very, very crazy. About 5 a.m., I, uh, I emailed our friend Avner and I said, I'm praying. He says, so am I. But you guys, a lot of, I think a lot of people have set, sent a link out to what Avner wrote this very morning. He has friends who have terrorists in their home. There's, um, yeah, so it's getting crazy. Um, so anyway, it is what it is. I assure you it's not the conclusion of the age. There's a whole lot of things that have not happened yet. This is a precursor. It's, uh, you know... There's a whole lot of things that it doesn't fit that Jesus is coming back any day now. It simply will not happen because God is his word and he is true. It doesn't mean it's not critical. It doesn't mean it's not serious. It doesn't mean it's not even a test of the church to not be tone deaf. That God has, God has called us to understand what's going on in these days. And that's exactly why we're here. It's exactly why we're here. Um, and so here's a link if you want to... Uh, if you want to read it later, be sure to do that. Um, and also, again, if you want to support a ministry in, in Israel, Avner's an amazing man of God, a dear friend. He was actually sitting here on this couch right here, yeah. what, three weeks ago or something? So we're very close friends. We stay at each other's homes when we're in Israel or he's here often. So, you know, we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's obvious. It's in Psalm 122. But it's not just a pray for the peace and then move on. God's calling us into a place of having our hearts break with the things that break is. And at the same time, having our hearts not break with the things that aren't breaking is. In fact, there's things happening on earth right now that he's breaking. So we have to be very careful and very prayerful. So we want to be in the Word so we understand what's going on. And we will, you know, we, that's what we do Saturday mornings when we gather here. So, you know, Peter was quoting Joel when he spoke about, he explained praying in tongues. 
People said they were drunk, they sound weird, this is sketchy, what is it, this is radical group of crazy people. And we thought this thing was done and these people started praying in a foreign, they heard them in their languages, but they were praying in tongues. And by the way, if praying in tongues offends you, it's supposed to. So God's called us to walk in the fullness of the entire word of God. And there's a lot of things that people have been taught or taught against or instructed sideways or dialed down or dialed up even. And we're called to be in alignment with the word of God. So Joel quoted, um, Joel quoted Peter, uh, Peter quoted Joel. That would be amazing. That would be pathetic. <laughs> if Joel could quote Peter, all that. Peter quoted Joel 228, but we're going to read a little bit more than that. And, you know, it was an outpouring, and he's talking about an outpouring of spirit-filled people of God who would begin at the time at the New Testament launch of a church of power that would start walking in the spirit, walking in obedience to God, not just having power, but walking in obedience to the spirit of God. And, you know, this whole week I've been going through this whole thing that a dead church is, will never represent a living God. So a lot of times things want to be sanitary. We don't want to offend anybody. We're not looking to offend. Let the Holy Spirit offend. So we're not the ones to look to, to offend. But at the same time, what's happening at the conclusion of the age is God's calling us to walk in the fullness of Scripture. And Paul said it clearly, he said, having done all to stand in the evil day, the implication is if you want to dial things down, you might have trouble standing. So if it's in the book, you want it, if that's really what it comes down to. So this is what Joel said in uh, chapter 2. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. God pouring his spirit out on all flesh, it doesn't mean that everybody on earth who loves God, doesn't know God, doesn't know him yet, left God, or even hates God, is going to have an anointing. That's unwise. It doesn't fit the whole context of Scripture. But God's dealing with everybody by the Holy Spirit right now. So there's people crying out because the days are tough, getting saved. I see people, get, I prayed with a guy two weeks ago who had walked away from the Lord and he's had a very, very tough time and for years sort of, just sort of like got casual and almost sometimes sarcastic. Two weeks ago, I was walking the little dog at night and I prayed with him and he came back to the Lord. So God's doing this work, not because he doesn't like people, he's doing it because he loves people and he doesn't want them perishing and he is relentlessly righteous. So, that's the Daniel 9 prayer, when Daniel accurately said, you did these things, we brought this upon ourselves, you are faithful to the covenant. So he says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on everybody. He says, the, you know, the ones who are with me, they're going to prophesy, they're going to have dreams, they're going to have visions. He goes, and then he says, there's going to be some drastic, dramatic events occurring on earth. I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, which sounds like destruction, so it could be war, it could be natural catastrophes. Then he talks about, I mean, he's going through 2,000 years of prophecy right here, 2,000 years of events, speaking in broad strokes. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Prior to the day when the Lord comes back, the day that's great for us and awesome for the ones who don't know him. It's not like I always say, the word awesome in scripture is not like awesome hot dog, awesome bike ride. It has to do with awful, full of awe, like a, a trepidatious day, if you will. 
He says, before that day, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he goes on, and he, uh, it's interesting because he ends it here, and there's actually a little bit of verse left in 32, and he cuts it off the same way Jesus knew to truncate Isaiah 61 when he said, you know, to, I, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and it goes on to, you know, freedom to the captives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, but he left out the day of vengeance of our God, and the reason he did that, it wasn't time for that. So this, again, has to do with a wisdom and a grace that should be on us as spirit-infused people to know when to say what. There's a lot of what's happening in church right now, sadly, is people make biblical proclamations that are out of time, and, they, and, it does, and actually it ends up confusing things more than actually blessing situations. So we just want to be careful. And then he says here, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And that's interesting because he's talking about a remnant. Now we're looking at an attack in Israel today and a lot of people are probably going to say, well, the Lord could come back anytime. This is it. It's not it. I assure you it isn't because of the progression of events that God has laid out in Scripture for anybody who would care to study it. But it doesn't mean it's not serious. For behold, in those days and at that time, meaning at the conclusion, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. Well, that actually has happened over time, but I believe this is still pointing to Jacob's trouble. I believe we're still looking at tougher events for Israel, which is why we need to be praying for Israel, and particularly praying for the ones who are in Israel, boots on the ground, who have fallen the Holy Spirit particularly understanding that something is happening in the heavenly realms. And God is also dealing with the saints. Like, it's not like the land far, far away. So go, oh God, and I pray for, you know, you touch your little Jewish souvenir from Israel and I pray for Israel. He's saying, press in for the Jewish people. The Jewish people right now are in panic. Yeah. They're in panic. I mean, look what's going on in the United Nations. They're, they're calling them the Satan. The, it's unbelievable what's going on. So the world is turning into this place. And, and already we know through Joel, this is not the conclusion of the age. Because he goes, I'm going to gather all nations and bring. Bring them into, into Israel. And this still is really a, this is an attack from the south. So it's not surrounded by all enemy nations. It's not all nations of the world. So we know it doesn't fit the prophetic model. But of course it doesn't mean we don't pray. And then he goes on, and he's, God's watching everything. They have cast, he says, um, I will enter into judgment with them there, there in Israel, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They've also divided up my land. They've cast lots for my people have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Philistia? Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my 
prized possessions. So God says, these are my people. This is what they've built. This is, but what's theirs is mine. And we're going to be looking at this as we get into Daniel 5. The whole story of Daniel 5 is basically a religious orgy and they're drinking out of the religious artifacts that were taken out of the temple. And basically it was time is up. Time was up for an entire empire. That empire shifted at the conclusion of Daniel 5. But it's happened throughout the years. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders, which is exactly what the plan is even now. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. Then he says, proclaim among the nations, prepare for war. This is very interesting. He's not saying to the Jewish people here, prepare for war. He's actually calling the nations. Remember, this is crazy in a way, but he has to get Israel saved. He has to get Israel to cry out, Baruch HaBab and I. They're not there yet. When Israel became a nation in the 1940s, a lot of people came in and they were all referred to as Zionists. They said, look, now we have the land, now we're back, now we're going to cultivate the land, now we're going to... But, but still, there's still a massive pushback to their Messiah. And so much of this has to do with them not failing to recognize their Messiah. And over the course of the 2,000 years, people who lifted themselves up and declared themselves to be the Messiah and written books how Jesus was a, basically a spiritual pirate. And worse. So they're no place where they need to be at this point in time. So there's all these parts and pieces that have not yet fit together, which will have to be together prior to his return. So a lot of the trouble that's happening in Israel, is God is instituting it? Yeah. Does he allow enemy nations to accomplish things that we look at and think, why would you do that, God? Remember Gideon? When he said to, when the angel came, he said, well, why did, you know, a mighty man of valor, what, how come the Midianites are here? And, you know, the book of Joshua wasn't written yet, but, although he was in it, but just a few verses earlier, it was said that God sold Israel into the hands of the Midianites. So he is relentlessly righteous, which really pertains to our lives as well. There are things that sometimes will come upon us and think, God, how could that happen? It's because he's relentlessly righteous. So, to our relief, but also to our challenge, we're not going to get away with anything. So you could play the game of, you know, you could use grace like Bondo, you know, and you have a rusty old car and you slap some Bondo on it. Say, oh, that's just the grace of God. We have grace that we might serve him acceptably with fear. That's what the writer of Hebrews told the discouraged Jewish believers. So God says, you have plenty of grace. Come with confidence before the throne of grace. Come with confidence. I'm with you. I'm not against you. I'm not looking to disqualify you, but I'm not messing with anybody. And even what's happening in Israel right now is God's not messing with anybody. Beat your plowshares into swords. Let your pruning hooks and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations. He's talking to the nations. And gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there. O Lord, let the nations be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So God will call all of the nations in, and this will be the big judgment of the earth. This will be the, the culminating battle, if you will. This will be Armageddon. 
This is not what's happening now. So is God calling his people? Yes. Spiritually, is he calling us to beat our plowshares into swords right now? Yes. He's calling us to man up and woman up and understand what he's called us to in these days. And we're not here for all the things that we think we're here for. Those He said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. He goes, I'll take care of all those things. He doesn't, he's not ignorant of our needs and even our desires. I mean, he's that good a God. But he's saying, but your focus has to be the kingdom. And to the degree that we deprioritize that, we're still in learning mode. So he's calling, he's calling an army together in these days. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come go down for the winepress is full, the vats overflow for the wickedness is great. Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion. He's not yet doing that. He's supposed to be roaring from us, by the way. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, conclusion of the age, it's like a, it's a key phrase. Then you will know. Then they will know. Then the nations will know. Then Israel will know. Then you will know. So you shall know that I'm the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no, no alien shall ever pass through her again. Well, that hasn't happened yet. So stay tuned for that. That's a long way off in many ways, progressively. Now, we're watching things happen and accelerate quickly in our lives. I don't think any of us... 30 years ago would have thought we'd be where we are now. But we're watching things happen by the day. It shall come to pass when, in that day, this is not dominionism, this is not uh, simply, uh, you know, everything's cool now and we're just going to win the world right now. He says, in those days when those nations are down and he's there and he's in place and, and, the, and the battle is won, that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water, the fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah. So God's watching even today. God's keeping a record. God's keeping a record of the guy who pushed the button that killed that woman this morning. And who knows how many others might be dead by the end of the day right now. The difference between those nations and the people of God he says, but Judah shall abide forever. It's not going to go away. And interestingly, a lot of times the church, even the church that has a lens of God's love for the Jewish people and commitment, still don't have a lens that as we stand beside them as a primarily Gentile church, they're going to be coming after us too. So this is not just, oh, God protect the Jewish people. This is the ones who will stand for the purposes of the kingdom are going to be targets. So this is one of many prophetic pointers to the salvation of the remnant of the Jews. Hey, look what God, look what, this is so cool. This is, going to be a, this is going to be a massive shift. It's going to be a remnant. It's not going to be all of Israel. Paul said it. The rabbi said it. They're not all Israel who are Israel. Here in Joel, way before then, he says, For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. It's going to be great days. It's going to be tough. They're going to be turbulent. They're going to be challenging, but having done all we can stand. And of course, we have these verses in Zechariah, which are great, which I want to go over. And this is interesting. There's a parenthetical here that's wrong, by the way, in the, uh, in the 
New King James and in many of the uh, in many of the translations. But it'll, it'll read better when you read it this way. And I actually was teaching on this many years ago, and I put it up on an overhead. And, I, and you know, you sort of, you don't want to manipulate scripture so it works for you. But this scripture doesn't work the way it's um, it's the the way the the grammar is laid out in it, and the way the little punctuation marks are laid out. For it says in the scripture. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory for the nations which plunder you, which to the nations who plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Thus says the Lord, the Lord doesn't say he sent me after glory. Nobody sends the Lord. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't get dispatched. And so where the parenthetical needs to be is he sent me after glory. The angel is speaking. He's saying the warrior God, Adonai, Yahweh Tzivaot, the warrior God, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. God sent me because he's offended and indignant by what the world is doing to Israel. They're out of, you know, they've breached covenant time and again, but he's faithful to them. So even though he might even use these nations as corrective measures against his people, he's faithful to them. He says, they're the apple of my eye. And what does God say? What is the word that God's saying here? For surely I'll shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. The angel is saying this. So he's saying, Israel is the apple of God's eye. If you want to love what God loves, you'd say, oh, he loves the orphans. Yes, he does. He loves the marriage covenant. Yes, he does. He loves fair weights and measures. If you're a businessman, yes, he does. He loves, all, he loves his word. But he says, the apple of his eye are the people because he made a covenant with Abraham. And because he's faithful with Abraham, he's faithful with us. But it's covenant faithfulness. And then in Matthew, we're told this by Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, this is chapter 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It's a story of will again. They would rather be religious than willing to come into relationship with God. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more, till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says it very here, very clear. The Jewish people are not about to be saying, Baruch HaBabashem Adonai. And they're certainly not going to be saying it to Messiah Jesus, which is why the saints are here. That's why we're here. To not be intimidated by the Jewish people, to say, He's your Messiah. Jesus was, is, and always will be Jewish. It stops Jewish people in their tracks when you remind them that Jesus is Jewish. There's no question that he's Jewish. He's a Jewish savior. And we're called to invite them into, it's, you know, it's, I mean, I've prayed to people on their deathbeds where they've said things like, I can't pray to him, I'm a Jew. I said, no, you exactly can pray to him because you're a Jew. He's actually reaching out to you. And one guy in particular actually flew back on a midnight flight and, um, and I was telling him a story, and the presence of God showed up in his hospital room. And I said, do you feel that? He goes, uh-huh. He's shaking his head. I said, that's God in the room. I said, can we pray now? He said, okay. And he prayed. I stayed a few minutes. I flew back to L.A. Next day, he died. Talk about God's mercy. That's God's mercy. We don't want, please don't miss an opportunity to, I love it. So, what happens now? So, they haven't said that yet. 
But here's what's going to happen. God's going to pour the Spirit out as it gets tougher in Jerusalem, as it gets tougher in Israel, like today. There's probably a lot of Jewish people praying today, right now. Right now, God help us. And they're probably all help prayers. Maybe What's? Pray right now. Yeah, I'm going to pray. I have it in my notes. Okay, I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray till I get to where it says pray in my notes. You know, we have to do things line upon line. But, but listen, listen to this, though. This is so cool. Zechariah 12, we're told this. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, which is obviously more than one nation, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Whom they pierced. Whom they pierced through. It's in the Jewish scriptures. Ask, you know, when, if, if someone's heart is open to you, this is a great verse to say, tell me what you think this means. Tell me what you think this means. And he, and he even says, yes, they will, yes, I'm telling you the truth. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Is that wild? So we're in this amazing tension right now. We're going to see the overthrow of a wicked empire as we get into Daniel 5. But we're seeing what's happening now, God dealing with a nation that's massively out of order with him, his Jewish people. And so all these things are just percolating right now. And, the, and like Mike Pickle says, they're going to increase in frequency and intensity over the years. And our hearts are not to be failing us in this. But we also understand the timing of God. Okay, we can pray right here, even though, I, even though it's a little later, Rob, I'm going to do it. Lord, we do. We lift up Israel, God. We lift up what's happening there. God, there's little kids. We know of kids who are 12 years old still in diapers because of the trauma of living down in Gaza. Yes. Near Gaza, Lord. God, we are asking you to protect the innocents, God. We are asking you to pour your spirit out on those people. We are asking, God, that many who would cry out to their God, even right now, God, they'd have an open vision of who their Messiah is. They'd remember the, 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 the messianics, maybe ones that they've hated or mocked or ridiculed or persecuted, that people have been telling them in the past of what's going on, God, that this is the, we are reading out of the book of God right now. Yeah. Lord, this is in, most of these scriptures are in the, uh, in the Jewish, are in the Jewish Testament, God. We are asking you to open this up open to the Jewish eyes, people. God. Open their eyes, God. We are crying out, God. We know in reality, God, there will be no peace, no real peace until they acknowledge the Prince of Peace. And yet, God, you and your mercy are dealing with the Jewish people now. God, we even pray for the Arabs, God. There's Arabs who are getting saved right now, God. We pray for a spirit of conviction. God, this is a, God, you take no delight in the, in the, in the, even in the destruction of the wicked. So we are crying out right now that your hand would be upon us. We hear supernatural occurrences, God. And you would particularly, uh, God, our friends, God, I think of uh, uh, Moran and Melissa, God, I think of the Seagulls, I think of the uh, Winnickies and the Barnards and the Boskies. God, you would bless our friends who are yes, right there in Israel right now. Keep them safe, God. You've called them to a mighty work. God, we ask you to, for safety, to, a blanket of safety to be over them, Jesus. Yes. Amen. So what will bring the people of Israel to the place of crying out? What does it say in Jeremiah? We looked at this a few weeks ago, Jeremiah 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel saying, write in a book for yourself all the words that I've spoken to you. Write it all down. 
For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah. Very specific, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now these are the words of the Lord's that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we've heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great, so none, so that none is like it. Sounds very much like Matthew 24 to me, or, or Daniel 12. The days of greatest trouble. He goes, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. I think we're rolling into those. We're getting close. But, good news, he shall be saved out of it. The ones who turn to the Lord will be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break the yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave you, which enslave them. It, it implies that's going to be happening right up to the very end. Like, a lot of people like to say, well, we're safe, we're in Israel now. What is all this stuff that has to occur? Otherwise, these scriptures are not valid. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them, the resurrected David. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, do not be, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. He knows who's his. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. When we get into situations where people give you choice A or choice B, and neither one of them are God choices, you think, I have to see what God wants in my life. That's right. That's right. It's not like, it's either you do this or you do that. Take, it's, we're not playing, let's make a deal. We're saying, what does the Lord say? And this is why we need to be praying. This is why we need to, something happened to me on this trip where I got off a plane, I'm not kidding, one, two minutes before the door closed and it changed the course of my trip. And it wasn't fatal or anything, it was good that I did it. But I thought I need to shorten my response time. It was clearly the Lord, when I woke up that morning, the Lord said to me, don't go to New York. And it was the day of the floods when they had like whirlpools in the streets, and it would have taken me 12 hours to get to New York that day with travel and mechanical delays. And the Lord said to me in the morning, don't go. So it wasn't like a command, but it was more of like a, I wouldn't go if I was you. And then, <laughs> but later in the morning, after already spending hours, I walked off the plane and Robin says on the phone, I can't get the ticket, go back to the plane. I walk back, I walk like 20 yards and the gates closed, the computer's down, and the sign says flight closed. I thought, okay, there's another plan the Lord has. And I had a great conversation with someone on the way back to Nashville on the plane. So I'm just saying that I want to, you want to shorten your response time. So, you know, we want to learn to um, fine-tune our ability to hear God and to move when he says move. You want to do that. And I believe he's setting us up so that we, we're fine-tuned, so our responses are better. I love that. So, okay, and it says, let's pray. We just did that. So anyway, I have lots more notes on the lineage of rulers, by the way. Um, I was going to lay them out, but because of all that we covered this morning, if you start Googling, be careful what you read, but most of it's pretty legit in Scripture. But there's like a whole lot of Abimelechs or Abimelechs. There's several Nebuchadnezzars. There's some theories on whether Darius and, and 
Cyrus were two names for the same guy. There's a guy, Nabonidus, there's, a, there's Ugbaru. So when you start getting into the book of Daniel, you'll see that there's people who say, and this happened until the reign of Cyrus. This happened until the reign of, Dur of Darius. And there's cuneiforms, you know, they, they make these stone, uh, you know, it was, it was basically their hard drives, but they would carve the history of what they wanted history to say in these cuneiforms. So archaeologists would discover these stone writings and for like hundreds of years people would say that's amazing because now we know what it was and then they'll find another one that's contradictory because fake news started in the garden. So there's a lot of things that we do not know. And it's real funny because if, you if you're a blank sheet of paper and you read one thing, you think, oh, that's the truth. We know the Word of God is true. That we know. So there's a couple of things that we're not going to cover. I've covered them in depth when I did this lengthy, lengthy teaching on Daniel years ago. Um, and, and even those, they still, they're still uncovering things. They're still digging. They're still finding. So, so we're going to get into Daniel now, finally. What time is it? Oh, we're in good shape here. Okay, so... So we want words fitly spoken. I, I just want to encourage you there that, you know, we just don't want a vocabulary of Bible speak or an, an, a vocabulary of uh, quotes that we have. But you really want to, you just want to be prayed up in these days. You really want to know what to say. So this is interesting here. In Daniel 1, first, we know that the children of Israel are disobedient. It's been part of the MO from the beginning, just like the church has been, quite frankly. Just like America has been this covenant nation. We've been disobedient. And we're seeing a nation devolve right in front of our eyes. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And again, as I say frequently, God is weaning us off of nationalism. Not that we don't love America, but the real blessing for God bless America is God bless America with repentance. God bless America with a church that's on fire. It teaches and preachers and prophets and worship leaders and songwriters who are not just going through liturgy. Not just making things rhyme or having the chords fit. Because those days will actually pass. And the Lord, in many ways, is we're going to see the church, we're going to see a big church split, but it's not just going to be a denominational thing. It's going to be the church that's with God moving in the Spirit and a church that's not. That's rigid, constipated, if you will, stiff, and saying this is the way we've always done it. Now, God never changes in His holiness, but He does new things in Scripture. We know that. But this is clear. The people were disobedient. They went away for 70 years into captivity. Robin and I are reading Ezra right now, which is a great book, by the way, to read in parallel with the book of Haggai. People came back and they built, they started building a little temple and the people were weeping. The ones who were back, they were there 70, 80 years. These might have been 90-year-olds with, still with scars in their faces from fish hooks being pulled through the Ishtar gate. They were weeping over the smaller temple. But they were there 70 years. And so what happened? God activated, if you read Second Chronicles, the end of it, you can see all about the captivity when it happened. Jeremiah is crying out in the book of Chronicles. It says here in Daniel 1, verse 2, And the Lord gave the king of Judah, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The first verse says Nebuchadnezzar, along with, basically, some of the articles of the house of God. So they basically ransacked the place. Things that were dedicated to God, that were ceremonial and were holy. There's nothing wrong with ceremonies, there's nothing wrong with holy liturgy, but it's not gonna save us. It won't save us in and of itself. God gave them over 
to the bad guys, if you will, to the Babylonians, to Nebuchadnezzar, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which we know is Babylon, which we know is Persia, which we know is where the, where the woman in the basket, wickedness, is established to, prior to the lid coming off that basket in the conclusion of the age, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. The concept that God gave that is offensive. How can he do that? How can he make a commitment to his people and a covenant and then trouble? And you think God dealt with them over and over and over and over again. All these weather patterns, whirlpools in New York. I called a guy in New York. He says the cars are floating like boats in New York. Eight subways were stopped. They weren't even running. Those are electric trains. That's like, you know, that's the full-size version of Lionel is the subways in New York. So mixing it with, with that much water, it's not a really good program. <laughs> if you're worried about your Tesla, think of the subways. No, seriously, no, but so we're watching things happen and people are starting to say, I've had conversations with people, I've written a Bible study for a, a Jewish man who's not yet embraced his Savior. He says, do you think God deals with us through weather? I said, read Amos 3, read Amos 4. God deals progressively with people to, and he'll keep raising his voice. He, he doesn't run out of resources to make people miserable, uncomfortable, shake things up, only because he loves them and he doesn't want them to perish because the priority is eternity. The priority is not everything going smoothly here. So the Lord gave him those things, okay? So, okay, going down to Daniel 5. You have more notes there, but I want to move forward. So we have Belshazzar as the king. So if you remember last week, Daniel 4, last time we met, two weeks ago, Daniel 4, it was the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. He had his divine parking lot experience, and he's proclaiming the greatness and the wholeness and the sovereignty of God, and he might well have gotten saved. We'll know when we get there. But the last thing we hear of the man himself, it sounds like he, had, he really had a massive experience with God, and this should help us when we see lunatics, we see politicians, we see actors, we see people on the stage of society acting out, and sometimes you read a story and you think, man, God is so dealing with that person. And some of them get close and don't ever walk into that fullness. Some will. So please don't stop praying for people. We don't know. That's not, I mean, sometimes we get a Chuck Colson story. That was a great story. That was a great story. The guy was a corrupt politician, goes to jail and he gets saved. It was amazing. But we, can, we need to be praying for some of the people now, literally God-haters, people who had really bad Judeo-Christian experiences in their lives who don't want, to, don't want to embrace religion, if you will, Judeo-Christian religion. Some of those people are going to get safe because they're starting to say things, even in the public forum, that are truth. They're starting to realize it. So we need to be praying for these people. So Belshazzar, meanwhile, he's the king here, and he's quite frankly having a religious sex orgy. And he's not introduced to any place. You don't tell of his lineage. And again, if you Google stuff, I was going to give you more. Um, I was going to give you more, uh, you know, links to click on. But if you Google Belshazzar or whose son he was, he chanced very, very logical chance. He was not Nebuchadnezzar's son. Like you and your wife get married and have a son, that kind of lineage. But remember, the word son and father are used like they talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as our fathers. There were times when God talks to Israel, says, I brought you out of Egypt, and it was a thousand years later, and it wasn't them. 
So we have to read this with an understanding of, of how they would write in the Middle East. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. Had been. It was not, it was shut down at this point in, in you know, crumbling and just ransacked. That the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the, very clear who they are, we know where they got them, taken them from the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and they praised. It became a demonic worship. It was demonic worship. Praise the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So it wasn't, I read seriously toothless accounts by quote theologians who said, oh, it could have been like a damp plaster thing that God used, and it could have been just like it sort of seeped and appeared to look like letters. I remember when we first got saved, we read about something where they said, oh, the Israelites probably crossed over the Red Sea at really low tide because there's places where it could get down to inches or just feet. I said, how can you be such a blasphemy? How can you be such an idiot? How do you drown an army of Egyptians in four inches of water? I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit the story. So people want to talk about a supernatural God and Jesus who dies on the cross and resurrects and their life has changed, but they can't understand that God does miracles. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared, and they, the king sees the fingers. He doesn't just see the writing on wet plaster. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. So he wasn't Mr. Cool right now. He was totally freaked out. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Later we're going to see them talking about the wise men, the spiritists, if you will. These were the same guys that Daniel saved their bacon by interpreting the, the Nebuchadnezzar's dream years earlier. These people already had seen the real supernatural proclaimed. They already saw that one guy was legit and had prophetic credibility, and these guys are called in, and the king calls in these people, or they might have been at the party already because it was a who's who. This was like a big deal to come here. And you're going to notice, by the way, Daniel probably knew what was going to happen that night. He wasn't there. He avoided that party. He RSVP'd. Sorry, can't make it. Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And some people say it was Nabonidus, it was his dad was first, and, and uh, Belshazzar was number two. He was going to be the guy running under Belshazzar. It's interesting. Now, all the king's wise men came, but they cannot read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation, which is interesting because Aramaic and Hebrew are not that far off. And we're going to look at some of the words which have, in essence, Hebrew equivalents. And some, uh, and I was, we actually talked to Abner about it a couple of weeks ago. I think some of it is they didn't want to interpret it. I think they didn't want to, I don't think, I don't think they wanted to read this. I think that guy's going to flip out. This is not good news. This, this is not good news. So, everyone in the room was aghast. 
Everybody's flopping around. The king is like flopping around like a fish, basically. His knees are knocking together. And if anyone can, in fact, read, this is the, where we get the terminology, writing on the wall. Yeah. This is it. This is the writing on the wall. And there's things right now, there's writing on the walls, or the elephant in the room, if you will. There's things happening on earth. God's calling us to not ignore these things. Here's the writing on the wall. So they, could, they weren't going to offer him what, it might, what they might think it says. And they were probably looking around thinking, where's Daniel? We need Daniel here because I'm not going to do this. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. So enter the, king, the queen. Now this is interesting too because if you read some commentaries, people will speculate and say he had wives and concubines there, but, his, but the queen, his wife, his real wife, the legit wife, wasn't there. Or it could have been a queen mother. It could have been the king's wife and he could have been the son. We don't know. We don't, we're not told that. But this woman is not in this orgy. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall, which means she wasn't there prior, even though everybody else was there partying up. The queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you. Don't let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of in whom is the spirit of the Holy God. Remember, they were polytheists. They didn't have an issue of him having the spirit of the Holy God, but they have all these other gods, which are functionally worthless. They're actually demons that they're worshiping at best. So this guy is legit. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, so they still didn't have it correct, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, called the instant suit says, all the guys standing in the room, looking spiritual, had nothing to say. This guy was over there. They hated Daniel. The next chapter, we're going to see Daniel in the lion's den, because they hated Daniel, because this was a wicked kingdom. The kingdom that is represented by starting with um, uh, Nimrod, going all the way to Babylon has fallen, has fallen in the book of Revelation, is a kingdom of wickedness, corruption, uh, perversion, darkness, violence, burning people alive, horrific stuff. Bad will be very bad at the conclusion of this age. We sort of like to think of it now, you know, as a little kid, you used to, oh, look, look at, you know, Sinbad the Sailor, or we got the Thousand One Arabian Nights, and the pointy shoes with the roll-up toes, and flying carpets, and it seems like, oh, what a mystical place, it's demonic, it's demonized. Our Marines are called, are called Leathernecks, because when Andrew Jackson sent them down to fight on the shores of Tripoli, these guys were into beheading people. So they wore leather collars. So we're dealing with some serious violence throughout the history of mankind, and we're going to deal with serious violence going forward. So we could go on for months investigating the different historic opinions about it's a, they think it's a, a, a regnal name, meaning a, a, a kingly title. It could be that. Where it could be that someone comes into office and gets called Nebuchadnezzar, or it could be a name. They don't know for certain yet. So all the men that took, uh, took that name, we could also look into the statement of your father, like I said before, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So let's not get stuck on that because we're moving forward in a you know, more of a focused direction here. So the queen is telling Belshazzar, there's someone who recently reigned and who discovered and acknowledged the prophet Daniel as being supernaturally gifted. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. So it was within the years of the life of Daniel. 
So it wasn't that long ago. And later we'll see how Daniel, on behalf of God, holds Belshazzar accountable to the knowledge that God, that, that the king should have recognized but failed to recognize. And this is important for us. This is why we're called to know our Bibles. This is the failure of Psalm 78. This is, and we, I have it in my notes later, this is 1 Peter 1 where it says the Old Testament was written for the New Testament saints. This is Paul in Corinthians saying these things were written for your admonition upon whom the ends of the ages come. We need the word in us. It's going to be the safe place for us as much as possible. Infuse yourself. I mean, listen to teachers, listen to podcasts, do it, whatever you want. Have the word infused in your life. That's your investment. Listen to it. Buy a bicycle, buy an old iPod, go for long rides, listen to the Bible. Do whatever it takes. You know, seriously, there's always some kind of background music in our lives. I'm not saying don't listen to worship or 70s rock and roll, whatever fires your rockets. I'm just saying infuse yourself with the Word of God. It's critical. This is an unsaved man. He's being called into accountability. You should have known there was a holy man here years ago. You should have known this already, but you're not living that way. You blew it off. You blew off what Nebuchadnezzar wrote. And so here's what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar, your father, da, 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 there's a man. She says, the, the queen says, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding in interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So the place is in an uproar. So you got all these charlatans, these religious people don't, if they can read it, they don't want to mention it. And if they can't read it, they'll flip it out, thinking, what the heck is going on here? Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Here he's basically saying that the wise men aren't that wise, or not wise enough. All this stuff that we're seeing, even now, all these things that people pontificate, it's going to fall, it's going to fall down. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they cannot give the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, you can imagine a thousand people in that room. I mean, that place was in an uproar. I mean, talk about freaked out. Now, if you, if you can, read the writing and make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, basically keep it. Let your gifts be for yourself and you give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So looking ahead for a minute, and again, this is one reason I love listening to my Bible when I ride my bike or drive or something. In Daniel 7, we're reading Daniel 5 right now. Daniel 6 is after the destruction of Belshazzar. He dies at the end of this chapter. Daniel 7 is the first time Daniel is given his own vision. He'd been interpreting things in the past. He had a great track record. But look at Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a vision and dreams and dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. 
Then in Daniel 8, it says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, the vision appeared to me to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. So Daniel 8 is referring to Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is returning to Belshazzar, is referring to Belshazzar, and we're addressing him in chapter 5. So Daniel actually walks into the room, having already had divisions in 7 and 8. He already knew this place was toast. He already knew that the fuse, the fuse had been lit. Actually, that's why the, uh, the, um, the statue in Daniel 2 is considered the mother of all prophecies. It's literally the birthing of the empires, the, not all of them, but the primary empires that will go all the way until the supernatural rock comes and shatters them all and the kingdom is given over to the saints. So Daniel walks into the room seeing despicable hedonism. God knows what he saw in the room. A thousand people going crazy, drunk, going crazy, praising and worshiping demons. He goes into this room and he's thinking, this is not a good place. And he says, keep, keep the robe. Keep the robe, give it to someone else. So Daniel is growing, God's growing, you know, the Bible says, teach a, a wise man, he'll be wiser still. Daniel is growing, and the fact that even in verse, when we get to chapter 7, he, the, it's so wonderful because God's so faithful in teaching wise Daniel wisdom that he explains, Daniel 7 is an easy interpretation because the angel gives him, he has a vision and the angel comes and gives him the interpretation. So we're watching a man grow, and look at yourself as a Daniel. Look at yourself as you have a certain amount of wisdom, a certain amount of seasoning already. You have a certain amount of years in the kingdom. You've, you've had ups, you've had downs, you've had successes, whatever. See yourself as being on this course of, I just want more. What did Paul say? Not that I've already attained, but one thing I do. Laying aside the things that are behind me, reaching forward to those that are ahead, I press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he invites us and he says, let those who are, let those who are mature be thus minded. He says, just keep going after. Just keep, we're never going to get to the bottom of the gold mine of understanding God. I love that. I love it. And a lot of us, God called early in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. So don't waste time. Don't waste time. Okay, so Daniel 5. Okay, and Daniel's talking to the king, walking in, thinking, I've already had two visions, has to do with this place, I'm looking at what's going on in this room, this is your MO, this is how you run. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. He gave it to him. He used Nebuchadnezzar as a disciplinary tool for his covenant people. And because of the majesty that he, God, gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Nebuchadnezzar was sovereign, basically. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, it was a wicked kingdom. Whoever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. We're going to be dealing with that kingdom as we get closer to the conclusion of the age. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, because remember what Daniel said, now, O king, do yourself a favor and like be socially active and there's poor people and, and humble yourself before God. Remember, and he, he's walking around thinking, look at the hanging gardens, aren't these amazing? And then while his heart gets lifted up, his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And I just want to say one thing, is that 
you know, as we walk in the fullness of God, there's going to be a greater, I believe, a greater anointing on the saints on earth in those days than ever. God help us not to walk in pride. You start having open visions. You start laying hands on the sick and they get healed all the time. Your prophetic words start looking like you're batting a thousand. Cast that crown down. Just walk low. This is such a good example for us. But when his heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne and, he, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was what would do of heaven, till he had a revelation, till he knew that the Most High God wills in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses, till he had that right. So Belshazzar is getting a recent history lesson, just like Paul talks to us in Corinthians. Remember these things that are written. Gets in, and he says, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. That is historic accountability. We are called to an accountability to understand it. We're not, we don't have to become historians, but we ought to know our Bibles. How has God worked in the past when a nation went the way a certain nation is going? I've said that to people here in America. I said, uh, the issue is not red or blue parties. The issue is what's least blasphemous. When you have, you know, if you're sitting there and you can say, I hate this person, I don't like him, this one's a buffoon, this one's senile, this one's corrupt, this one has a track record of this, and you sit here and you think, hating Israel, kill the unborns, all these things, you think, those are the things that drive God into action. That's blasphemy. And we have a nation that, quite frankly, there's enough mud to sling from either side of the aisle. This is not about parties. This is about holy God and sometimes us if we, if we vote, which is probably a good thing, you vote for the least blasphemous. You just deal with it. You just deal with it. This is historic accountability, and this is all about be diligent to understand what the study of the word. So you, so you could rightly divide it. You could understand what's going on. First Corinthians, written for our admonition. First Peter tells us again. Seven, Psalm 78, I mentioned it earlier. And he's talking, this is actually a failure, it's a chapter of failure, but he's speaking in the Old Testament, talking to the Jewish people. It was their failure too, it wasn't just New Testament failure. God is speaking here through the psalmist, verse 5 in chapter 78, Psalm 78, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make, known, make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. And it's interesting because, you know, you're, there's so much, part of the work that comes against us as parents or as, as grandparents or as neighbors is distraction, is entertainment. And if you sit, I remember with our daughters, we... It used to drive me nuts, and I was, we were very legalistic, but our daughters have the Word of God in them, and, and they'd be all excited and playing and going crazy and watching videos, VHS tapes back then. It was time to read the Bible. They'd be like flopping on the couch like they were going into a coma. <laughs> but you know what? Our daughters know the Word of God. They know the Word of God. You want, you want to speak the Word of God. You want to encourage each other daily while it's cold today, lest our hearts get hardened. So we want to be in the Word. The Word is magical. It's absolutely magical. 
All right, so we, that's our admonition. So now we go back to Daniel, and Daniel's talking to this king. So I guess his knee stopped knocking so he could hear him. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze and wood, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you've not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this is what was written. And this is the inscription that was written. So they're all looking up at the wall. Mene, Mene, Tekelu, Parson. Mene sounds like Mina, which is a coin, coinage. Tekel is like shekel. It has to do with weights or a weighted coinage. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you've been weighed into balance and found wanting. Basically, you're a lightweight. You're a lightweight. You're a pony animal. All you're doing is living in pleasure and, and worse, and you're a lightweight. And then he uses the word Perez, which is actually this wording gymnastics. We're not going to get into it here. There's a link called biblical training. You could look at it. But it has to do with the word Perez and Uparsin, because on the first he says it says Uparsin, but they're actually linked together. Uh, and the FYI here on the etymology of the name Perez or Peretz, which um, Jewish people have, the name Peretz. We had a friend whose last name was Peretz. But Perez, or P-E-R-E-Z, it has to do with breach. It has to do with a breaking in. It's like when David named uh, Baal Peretzim was the valley of break-in or breach or breakthrough. But it's all the same word. And basically what he's saying is, your kingdom's been broken. It's snapped already. It's divided. You're a lightweight. God's evaluated you. He's watched your blasphemy. You, you had a good time up until this minute. Your time is done. And he's saying, keep the robe. It's over. That's how quickly God can move. And we're going to see things happening. I, even this morning, just getting up, you know, it's up very early this morning, and um, things are pouring in from Israel and from other places. And I'm thinking, yeah, things happen very, very quickly. Things can happen quickly. Let's not get complacent, please. So then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple. Well, this was good for his word. And put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him. He should be third ruler in the kingdom. It's very interesting, though, because that kingdom was over that minute. It was actually happening historically. That kingdom was going to be over. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. This is an amazing story that aligns perfectly with Scripture. Now remember, Jesus is telling us, you know, when the abomination comes, abomination and desolation, go read Daniel. This is the book that the Jewish people don't have in the prophets. They have it in the section of the Old Testament called the writings. Because if they acknowledged him as a prophet, they'd have some trouble with it. So I don't know what they think, whether they, this guy was speculating, he was a writer. Our Savior, the one who saved our souls, calls Daniel a prophet and says, when it hits the fan at the end of the age, go back and read Daniel. This is that book. So there's a man named Herodotus, who is a famous historian. So a lot of people go back to him. He wrote a lot of chronicles about what was going on. This is what he writes. 
and then again you can go here, I have a link to it. Cyrus, with the first approach of the ensuing spring, marched forward against Babylon. Cyrus was in the was Mede Persian. That was the breastplate. Remember the head of the statue in chapter two was the golden head. That was Nebuchadnezzar, that was the Babylonians. Then two were going to come in. It was the Mede Persians. Cyrus, with the first approach of the ensuing spring, marched forward against Babylon. The Babylonians encamped without their walls, outside of the walls, he's speaking in old English. The Babylonians encamped without their walls, awaited his coming. They're waiting for Cyrus. The battle was fought at the short distance from the city, in which the Babylonians were defeated by the Persian king, whereupon they withdrew within their defenses. Here they shut themselves up and made light of his siege. They mocked the siege that the Babylonians were coming. They knew that an army was coming, so they didn't... Yeah, yeah. I mean the Persians. The Persians. Here they shut themselves up and made light of his siege, having laid in a storage of provisions for many years in preparation. They thought they were impenetrable. People say that the walls of the city were so wide they'd have chariot races on the tops of the walls. So they thought, we're good to go. What are you going to do? We'll just keep drinking and partying and going crazy here. Who cares? You're crazy and you've taken out other nations. You're not going to take us out. Having laid up a store of provisions for many years in preparation against this attack, for when they saw Cyrus conquering nation after nation, they were convinced that he would never stop and that their turn would come at last. Cyrus was now reduced to great perplexity. So Cyrus gets to the city. He's never seen a city as monstrously fortified as Babylon. As time went on and he made no progress against the place, in this distress, either someone made the suggestion to him, this is written like a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, or he bethought himself of a plan which he proceeded to put in execution. He placed a portion of his army at the point where the river enters the city and another body of men at the back of the place where it issues forth with orders to march into town by the bed of the stream as soon as the water became shallow enough. He then himself drew off the unwarlike portion of his host and made for the place where Nito Crisno dug the basin for the river where he did exactly what she had done formerly, whatever she is there, I didn't write this, he turned the Euphrates by a canal into the basin which was then a marsh on which river sank to such an extent that the natural bed of the stream became fordable. What he's saying is the river ran right through the city and they went and they forded it up, they dammed it up and they diverted the river and everything lowered down to a place where the army walked in under the gates. These guys are partying in the riverbed, in the riverbed, in a wet riverbed, the, the whole army is walking in. This guy's having this drunken orgy praising Satan, if you will, and God sends in Daniel to read the writing on the wall. And while he's reading it, the army's coming into town and everything changes in one night. Hereupon, the Persians who had been left for the purpose of, at Babylon by the riverside, entered the stream which had now sunk so as to reach about halfway up a man's thigh and thus got into the town. Had the Babylonians been apprised of what Cyrus was about, or had they noticed their danger, they would never have allowed the Persians to enter the city. Is that crazy? Mm -hmm. And it says at the end, they knew nothing of what had, had chanced, what had happened. But as they were engaged, this is writing thousands of years ago, as they were engaged in a festival, continuing dancing <clears throat> and, re and reveling 
until they learned about the capture. Such then were the circumstances of the first taking of Babylon. How quickly, how quickly God could move and shift everything. We sit here thinking, you know, I got weapons, I got an alarm system, I, I have a full tank of gas, I have 55 gallon drums of water in my garage, I'm safe. God's saying, your safety is me. Your safety is in the will of God, having learned how to discern his voice. So this is the Darius conundrum. I, I'm not going to go there either because it's late. So here's what we are to know. Daniel, both the book and the man, are 100% legit. So when you start getting all this, if you go online, I mean, I've read stuff that sounded good and like three pages in, you start realizing this guy totally doesn't get it. Totally doesn't get it. Listen to what the scriptures say in Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. God validates Daniel right there in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. Jesus says this in Mark 13. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the captive, Daniel the writer, Daniel the prophet, this is Jesus. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He says, you go back and read that book. So God has set us up to understand. One is he's not fooling around with man. Two is he's dealing, he deals with the covenant people actually more dramatically than he deals with the world. But he also knows who's his. But he is calling us to a place of these days where we are so sensitized to what he's doing. And so we'll be that we're not negotiating the will of God in our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the ones. Thank you for Gutenberg who invented a printing press so we could have the word of God. Thank you again, Lord, for pouring your spirit out in these days and raising up an army of warriors, God, who will be surrendered to you. That this is not about our brokenness. It's not about our anointing. It's not about our future and it's not about our past. It's about you. It is about the will of the incredibly amazing eternal God and what you were doing on earth in these days and we would ask you God that you would pour your spirit out mightily upon us Lord you would pour your spirit out God we not refuse you we not play dumb we not get distracted we not get religious we not get hedonistic or fatalistic God that this is about in your will we say your will be done on earth in these days and in our lives. We want your will. Help us here, God. You know how stubborn we are, God, and yet you love on us. Thank you that you got us this far. What you've begun, you will continue to complete. We bless you, God. As we unmute our mics, God, we want to give a wholehearted amen to say we agree with you. You are the one true God, and we love you, Lord. Your saints said amen. 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 So we say yes. So we say yes. So we say yes. So we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?